Set me down. Good morning, Freedom Center. That's just to make the sound man jump. Isn't it fun? Uh, it's good to see the room full. This is great. I, I know we're looking forward to. She said that the five o'clock service on Christmas Eve, Eve. So Saturday night, the twenty third. Hey, John, you on my way, man? I only got one thing to do here. And uh, and uh, uh, that there's no children's ministry. The second service, people are like, well, why is that? It's like I defy you to sit in a room with thirty three year olds that are past their bedtime and then ask that question again, right? So we uh, we will not be having children's ministries on the seven o'clock service, but the five o'clock that's that's fair game. So come and enjoy it. How many guys know that traditions are important to our kids? The way we do things create memories, and memories create patterns. And I guess I'm learning this now because my kids are having kids, and, and you see that, that sacredness of this is our time. We're not coming to your house. We're not coming over for this. We're like, this is our time. Our kids will open their gifts with their tree, with their parents on Christmas morning. And as a grandparent, I go, well, where'd you learn that kind of stuff? It's like, well, from us. You know, we set it apart because that moment as a family, uh, how many guys know that 99 0.999% of life is utterly forgettable. The only thing that makes it last is it's such wonderful memories that it lasts through dopamine or it's such horrible memories that it lasts through adrenaline. Everything else is gone. So it is our responsibility as a church to create sacred moments. Do you agree with that? Now, I pray that Christmas will be a sacred moment. I pray that the Christmas Eve services will be a sacred moment. I pray that at some point, Les will explain to me why he has a bandaid on his head, sat in the front row with an ADD guy that can't pay attention to nothing else besides the bandaid. Did you go deer hunting again? Sometimes, listen, when he goes deer hunting, sometimes the deer wins. That's all I'm saying. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. So let me just say this. I, I hope that this morning actually becomes one of those 99.999 without that, but that .001, because today I want to talk to you about faith. And I think sometimes we talk about faith. It's like, okay, well, faith, because, you know, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, you know? And, and understand that I, there's two kinds of faith. We'll get to this in a minute, but let me just show you how important Faith is relational trust. Let's just go to the scriptures this morning and let's see. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says this Trust in the Lord. Trust in who? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to Him. Submit to who? So we're going to trust who? And we're going to submit to who? It's relational, right? And God's going to direct your path. So He'll make them straight for you. John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. And then they asked him, this is people that were following Jesus because he, he duplicated loaves and fish. And they're like, hey, we, we want more food. And he's getting ready to really mess them up in a minute. We'll talk about that in a while. It's a hilarious, to me, it's just a hilarious story. But, but they say, well, we, we, we want to be right with God. We want to do the thing. So what is, what is the right thing to do? And I love this. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered them. The work of God is this. Come on. To... Believe in the, he sent. The work of God. No, no, it's, it's not smoking. It's not chewing. It's not running with girls that do. It's paying my taxes on time. It's reading my Bible at least 14 minutes because the people that are probably going to go to the worst part of heaven, they go to, you know, they read it for 12. I want to live at least middle class in heaven, so 14 minutes. It's, we have all these standards. Listen, the work of God is this. Trust Jesus. And when you, when you frame it that way, isn't it true? The work of God is this. The work of God in my life is not the things I don't do. It's trusting the one who's commanded me to be what he made me to be. And, and it's not as easy as it sounds because sometimes I trust Jesus and then there's like an election night and I go, where are you, God? You know, I trust Jesus. And then, you know, 
I'm a Lions fan. I've been disappointed for years on this, right? I trust Jesus, but then I find out that the money I've saved up, I didn't do my taxes right, and it doesn't really belong to me. It belongs to Ers, spelled I-R-S, right? So there's a dense piece of theology in Romans chapter 3. Let me just read this to you. Honestly, I think this is probably the most dense summation of a huge thesis that is the book of Romans, and it's in one verse. It says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets are both they've been talking about. This righteousness is given through, what is it? Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Look at Romans chapter four, verse five. To the one who does not work, back to these works of God, the one who does not work, you're not trusting in your works, you're not trying, you're not doing, you're not not doing. To the one who trusts, the one who does not work, but trusts who? Who justifies the ungodly. Justifies who? The ungodly. How many guys are qualified now? Isn't this wonderful? justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Doesn't this fly in the face of so much of what we think of when we think Christianity? Christianity is a morality diet for most. It's a, and I'm not saying this is your relationship with God, but if you don't have a relationship with God, then what's left is morality. So I don't do this. Why? Because the Bible says. And I do this. Why? Because the Bible says. But understand this, guys, and please hear my heart. Even though every word of Scripture is absolutely 100% true, Scripture has an author. And we do those things because he has written to us that we might believe. Believe what? Believe him. Believe in? No, no. Believe who? When you trust Jesus with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding, when you, when you acknowledge that righteousness doesn't come by your works, but by trusting the one who's done the work for you, when you abandon the religious mindset of, I'm a better Christian than I used to be, or whatever that means, you know what I mean? Oh, they, they can't possibly be saved because they did or they didn't do what I do and don't do. It's, it's just, once we finally lay it up, we realize there's one thing. It's the one thing that's important. It's believing, submitting, trusting, having faith in God. That is the ball game. Come on, somebody say amen or I'll preach all day. Best amen I got all day. It's just a threat. That's all it takes. Good preaching comes with lots of threats in it, evidently. That's the ball game. So this is what you have to understand. If that statement is true, and I believe it is, grasp this. That trust will be tested. It'll be tested by the devil trying to steal it, kill it, and destroy it. And it'll be tested by the one who gave it to you wanting to increase it. And that's when church gets quiet. Because I'll be really honest with you. I'll put it in the form of a question. How many would rather... God himself behaved more like a genie in a bottle than a sovereign Lord. That when I prayed with a certain fervency or a certain length or a certain way or used a certain words or I did certain things to prepare myself to ask for the certain thing, I just would rather he did what I told him to do. I'd really, I'm more comfortable in a relationship with God if I get to be the master. I mean, you guys know that's, that's not the offer we've been given. That's not the field we're playing on. The field we're playing on is, is a... a, a uh, obligatory, non-negotiable trust in someone, regardless of what he does and doesn't do in response to the request that we give him called prayer. Now, there's lots of scriptures on prayer, and we should believe all of them. Somebody say amen, right? But understand this. When it comes down to it, he's not there to, to, to obey our will. We're here to obey his. And sometimes God is most glorified through some pretty horrible stuff. You say, that's not what my Bible says. You're reading 3% of the verses to arrive at your conclusion. We're talking about people who wrote the Bible that were executed upside down on a cross. 
No, man, it's, it's health and wealth and prosperity. I, I'm not saying those principles aren't clearly in Scripture, especially in Proverbs, but the same guys who are like, like write Proverbs write other things like Psalms. If you read the Psalms, it's like, God, where are you? What's going on? Why have you abandoned me? And by the time he's done with the Psalm, it's like, but I'm going to trust you anyway, in spite of all the evidence that says you're not even there anymore. But I'm going to trust you anyway. That's, that's the kind of faith we're going to talk about. So there's some normal tests to our faith. And I would just call this obedience. So God tells us to do some pretty outrageous things. We agreed? Let's start with the, the obvious one. Wives. <laughs> All the men chuckle. The women are like, what's he talking about? Wives, submit to your husband. It's like, my husband doesn't wash his hands after he goes to the bathroom. My, my husband does not know how to put a toilet seat down. I've fallen like, like night after night for 30 years of marriage. Submit to your husband. My husband's so lazy, he won't pick up his pajamas and put them in a pile that's two feet from where he dropped his pajamas. So what in the world do you want me to submit to him for? And this is just because it's obedience. You think that's hard? Husbands, love your wives. You know what love is? Love is this consistent treatment regardless of outcome, regardless of stimuli, regardless of challenge. How many of you know that love goes like this, but women sometimes do a little, come on. Again, a distinctly male giggle, and you'll notice I'm making eye contact with her. And she can say the same about me because I'm occasionally moody, but only in days that have a Y in them. Uh, let, let's, let's go beyond this. Love your enemies. Why? How about I just eviscerate them on social media and find everybody that agrees with me and I'll feel so right, and they'll be so wrong, and we'll just all watch our favorite newscast together. We are the world. We are the, you know? How, how, about, how about forgiving people who have harmed you and trusting God to bring justice if justice is needed? What is this? What's he doing? He, he's bringing us to a place where we trust him over the instincts, the logics, the facts of our world. Because trust is the ballgame. Come on, say it with me. Trust is the ballgame. So sometimes people ask me questions about, you know, that guy really hurts you, or that person really offended you, or that person really wronged you. Like, what'd you do with that? I, I forgave them. Well, why'd you do that? This is my answer. Put it on the screen. Because I belong to Jesus. And that's, that's what we're talking about. This week, next week, we'll have Christmas Eve. We can't talk about forgiving our enemies in our pajamas eating Chinese food. So we'll talk about Jesus that day, right? The whole day. We'll come back to this the, on the 31st because I believe that one of the greatest responses you can have when the world doesn't understand what you do is that. I belong to Jesus. Why do you do that? Because I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to me. Why'd you vote that way? Because I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to a political party. Why, why, do, you, why do you root for that team? It has nothing to do with Jesus, but it's just fun to bring up from time to time, especially when your teams are winning, right? Why do you treat your wife that way? Because I belong to Jesus. Why do you let people treat you that way? Because I belong to Jesus. Why is your vision encompassing others who hate you? Because I belong to Jesus. Why do you forgive your enemies? Because I belong to Jesus. I have given my life to someone who gave his life for me, and now I live in the place in the way that he would have lived if he was continuing to walk on this earth. I belong to Jesus. Does this make sense to you? So obedience to the commands... That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing, and we're going to get to that later. But today I want to talk about two types of faith because I, I think we have to start here because there's many people that get to a certain test of their faith and never get beyond it. Following Jesus, raising their hands in worship, giving in the kingdom builder offerings, going on the missions trips, being involved in the youth group, going to camp and being called to missions, and then this happens, and they turn away from Jesus and they never turn back. And this is, there's two types of faith. Number one is this. 
mountain, let's just say Christmas tree. Christmas tree, the big one in the back, not the small ones, but the big ones. Be, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And the Christmas tree comes up and goes over our head and jumps into Lake Fenton and dissolves into a big pile of mush. And you know, that's exactly where to fish for bass next year. How many of you guys think your Christmas trees, so you know where to fish, right? There's a second kind of faith though. And we don't sing about this one so much. I, I doubt there's any refrigerator magnets that have this sort of faith on them because we really like the first kind of faith. We really don't want to talk about the second kind of faith, but you need them both. That's where you say, Christmas tree, be cast into the sea, removed, and it uproots and it comes over the top of your head and it just, it just pile drives you. And from underneath the dust and the petals and the needles and the, the wood and the bleeding, you hear a voice under the tree say, I still believe. That's the second kind of faith. How many guys can see the Bible is filled with stories that have both kinds? Yes, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, delivered from the fiery furnace. But there's also Peter, who's crucified upside down for the name of Jesus. There's also John, who's beheaded. There's also Paul, who gets a haircut right about here from Nero. Every, every story doesn't have a happy ending unless the ending includes faith in God no matter what. And I expected it to be quiet, so I'm not discouraged by this. But in John chapter 6, understand the dynamic. There's this great crowd that's following Jesus. Why? I understand why. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's going to Capernaum. He's rocking the joint. They're, they're in the middle of nowhere. They're hungry. They've got a couple of loaves. They've got some fish. Jesus multiplies it. 5,000 people get fed. There's baskets left over. And they're like, this is awesome. This guy's going to be king. He, he is the Moses to our generation. He's going to lead us, not from Egypt, but he's going to lead us out of Rome's power. Like, we're going to be free again, guys. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus, knowing that they're doing this, he, he continues to do this for a moment, but understand this. If you can only follow the one that does what you want him to do, you can't follow Jesus. So he's about to do something that nobody wants him to do. And I can't imagine what it was like to be John standing next to Jesus, where he's like, you know, demons come out, and John's like, that's my boy. Was that a Pastor Carl or what? Where's Pastor Carl? That's my boy. You know, that's a Philadelphia thing. You know, it, 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 he feeds the thousands. And like, yep, yep. Hey, stand right next to Jesus. If you'd like to talk to him, maybe I could get you an audience with him, because, you know, he, we're like this. Me and Jesus. Me and G. Like, we're so close, we have nicknames. He's the OGG, you know what I mean? And, and I know him. And then he stands up, and, and get this, he's preparing them for the life that they are to live. Now, understand this. He's not preparing them to live on Miami Beach. He's preparing them to die on Omaha Beach. So the Miami Beach stuff is wonderful. We agree? How many of you guys like Miami Beach? The Miami Beach stuff is wonderful, but it isn't all Miami Beach. Ten of them hear me, will be murdered or martyred for their faith and God won't show up to rescue them. Jesus knows this. So he's preparing them for the life that he's created them to live. It's not an easy one. One will commit suicide. One will die of extreme old age in exile, having been burned horribly with oil on the Isle of Patmos. And in John chapter 6, verse 53, he's going to begin the lessons. They're going to trim the herd of those who just want the stuff and don't want him. They want God to be a genie in a bottle. They don't want God to be sovereign, just a genie in a bottle. He's about to separate them from the herd. John chapter 6, verse 53. You guys still here? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat me. Uh, beg pardon? And he's going to say it like five times just in case you misunderstood. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood. Now, we're talking about cannibalism to Orthodox Jews. Anybody seeing the problem? You have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh, like, what, what'd you say? What'd you mean? No, I'm going to say it again. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. For my flesh, oh, he said it again, is real food, and my blood is real drink. By now, Peter's kind of walking back on, you know, I've only known him for a little while. John's like, you know, he's nice to snuggle with, but sometimes he says crazy stuff. I don't, I don't know, right? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me, oh, he said it again, will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Now, your ancestors, you like the whole Moses story, they ate manna, but they died later on. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. And I'm hearing it. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Hmm. A little hard to amen cannibalism in an orthodox synagogue <laughs> in Capernaum. Who can accept this? Now listen to this. Aware that his disciples, these are not casual followers. These are people who have given up everything to follow him. Not the 12 disciples, but other disciples. Jesus had other disciples. They're grumbling about this. Why did he say that? Why would he do that? Why didn't he explain it? Why? We don't know what he's talking about. What is going on here? Jesus, you're not making any sense right now. And he says these words. Hear me. These are important to you. He looks at them and says, does this offend you? As as if the answer is good, because I'm not a genie in a bottle. And there will be times in your life that won't make any sense. And if you trust what I do and fail to trust who I am, you'll never make it to where I've called you to go. Freedom Center Church, Lyndon, Grand Blank, Grand Blank especially, hear me, life won't always turn out like an hour-long Hallmark movie. Sometimes there's tragic endings that have no explanations. And if you let go of God because he didn't do what you told him to do, as there are here, he says this. Look at this. Let me read this next thing. Verse 66. From this time, many, say it with me, many of his disciples said, yeah, I can't do that. Jesus looks at the 12. He goes, do you guys want to do this too? Are Are you out too? And he's like, I love Peter's resolve. Hear me. He goes, where else shall we go? I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't grasp the meaning. I, I don't know about this might be a communion language or this might be metaphorical, but you just stood up and told everybody to eat you and drink you. And I don't get it. But this one thing I do get, and this is what's keeping me here right now. I get that you alone have the words of life. I don't understand. We all want a peace that passes understanding, do we not? Peace that passes understanding. You realize to have a peace that passes understanding, you have to surrender your right to understand. I want a God who makes sense, who fits in all my boxes, who does exactly what I tell him to do. And anything outside of that is very uncomfortable for this thing I call faith. Hear me. I get the uncomfortable and I get the desire for the box. And I'm, I'm with you with the genie in the bottle idea. But he's not that. You ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? What's the what's the lion's name? Do you remember? Aslan, everybody, yeah, I, I saw the cartoon. You actually read it. But he's walking away. This great thing has happened, and he's walking away, and the little goat man thing is talking to somebody. You know all the characters. Why don't you do the sermon for me? You know this, but then I do, right? And he goes, where's he going? He said, well, he looks, I love this. He goes, well, he's a lion, but he's not a tame lion. Listen, the God you serve is a lion. He's not a tame lion. Crack a whip, he jumps through a hoop. That's a nice kitty. But man, when he doesn't, And he says, eat me. There's confusion. Look at this. Peter says, I know exactly what you're doing. I get the the metaphor. The theology is clear to me. Is that what he says? 
is I don't get any of it. I'm as confused as they are, but I'm making the decision in my confusion not to create distance. If anything, I just, I guess I need to hold on tighter if I'm going to get what you're talking about. But I made a decision about following you. I'm not following you because of the loaves and the fish. I'm not following you because of the miracles. I'm not following you because of the signs and the wonders and the words no one's ever heard before. I'm going to follow you no matter, excuse me, no matter freaking what. Because I am done coming and going with the tide of my life. I am done being in when everything's good and out when everything's bad. Because there's lots of good things and there's lots of bad things. I have made a decision that I will hold on so tightly to you that nothing will separate me from your love. Not even me. And in doing so, this is faith. You guys doing okay? What time is it? Oh, I got hours. Mark chapter 4. Let's just take a look at another one real quick. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. What are they expecting? They're expecting to get in a boat and have a nice sail. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, we've got a problem. This is this in essence. We have a problem. Is the problem the storm? Is that what they're about to say? Is the problem the storm? Is the problem the seaworthiness of their boat? Is the problem that these fishermen don't know how to sail? Is the problem that no one will invent a life vest for another like 1900 years? They say the problem is this. We're seeing what's happening around us and then we're looking at you and you are our problem. You're not our solution. When we see the storm that's about to kill us, Mr. Water Walker, we know that we're toast. You'll make it to the other side once your nap is done. But it looks by all appearance, if we're to add all this up, we can only have one conclusion, and that is that you don't care about us. Have you ever been there? I cannot reconcile the circumstances of this moment with a God who's good. I just can't. So thanks for nothing. These were their dying words, they thought, to Jesus. The last thing I have to say to you is this. Thanks for nothing. For those of you that missed it. You know what I'm saying? Listen, their problem was not the storm. Their problem was what the storm revealed. Their trust in God was less than their trust in storms. So Jesus wanted to increase that trust. What does he do? Let's put them in a storm. Did the storm kill them? No. What did it do? The master of the storm was mastered by their master, and the storm became their servant. That's what faith does. When it's the no matter whatness of I trust you, God, then every storm becomes the servant of the Lord, regardless of who sent it. Did God send that storm? Did the devil send that storm? Is it a natural theophany of theology? Is, is it just a natural occurrence? We don't know. It's not even explained. It doesn't even matter. What matters is this. God won't waste an opportunity to build your faith. So what does he do? He gives you a mountain that is bigger than the current level of your faith, something you can't believe because you don't have the faith to believe it. And then you have to make a decision. Do I go back down where I've been or do I do the difficult work of climbing so that God can give me a faith that's even bigger than this? Anybody remember when you were young how much money $10 was? Anybody ever prayed a $10 prayer? Oh, Lord. If I just had $10 more a week, I could eat. For $10, I could fill up my whole tank. That's a long time ago. For $10, I could... You know, have two shirts. That's a cool shirt, by the way, the alpaca shirt. 
I saw that from across the thing. Like, dude, that's, is it actually made out of alpaca? You're, you're in a place that I have ADD. So anything that distracts me, it's you right now. I apologize, but I, <laughs> afterwards, somebody got that. I, I'm like, it's a llama. It's not a llama. It's an alpaca. Anyway. <laughs> oh, come let us, alpaca, alpaca. That's what happened to me this morning. <laughs> I blame you. Good. Thanks for coming today. <laughs> Guys, I, something that blew me away was this revelation of faith, and I got it from uh, Chris. Is Katie here today? I don't mean to embarrass her. To watch her line. Which, which camera? Is there a camera somewhere? Katie Dobeck, thank you for teaching me something powerful about faith that's really changed the way that I view God. It's been instrumental in getting me through storms, or actually resolving storms that I hadn't resolved yet. Chris and Katie were having a hard time getting pregnant, and you know, you try, and the hopes go up, and the hopes go down, and I'm gonna, and I'm not. I really think this is the time, and it wasn't. And she had a family member who was a wonderful guy, and, and he was wrestling with his own faith at the time, and he said, he used that as an example of why I just don't get this God thing. And why is that? Well, because you guys work at that church, and you go to that church, and you serve at that church, and you pray at that church, and you give at that church. That church prays for you, and you still don't have a baby. A lot of evil people that don't want babies got babies. If there was a God, then why don't you have a baby? I just, I can't reconcile the realities of your life with the realities of there being a God who cares. So I'm, I'm kind of on the outside, I guess, you know? And I love her answer. This is what she said. Put it on the screen. This is, this is brilliant. She said, faith isn't what I use to get what I want from God. More often, it's what I use when I don't get what I want from God. There's this blank, this confusion, this emptiness. And instead of saying confusion, fear, blame, doubt, she just said, I just put something in there called faith. I don't get it, but I trust the one who does. I don't understand that if I want peace that passes my logic and reasoning, I have to surrender my right to logically believe. And I, I, it isn't logical anymore. You guys see that too, right? Okay, just want to make sure. Right. The 60s weren't easy for me, I'm just saying. We were talking at the business meeting the other day, Will and I and a bunch of others, the eco meeting, a bunch of business guys get together, business people get together. And I was sharing about the time that I lost my faith. And I, I, will, I will confess to you that at least three times as the pastor of this church, I've had a significant blow. I would even say I lost my faith. I, not that I didn't believe that, that there was a God, it's that I, I couldn't reconcile the death of a child. I couldn't reconcile another child that was tortured to death. Couldn't reconcile some other things that won't even, I'm not going to talk about it this morning, but some things that I just, if there is a God and he's good, then why? You ever ask that question? If there is a God and he's good, then why? Is that, is that a basic human question? That's not like a, I never heard that one before. Like that's, that's the question of faith. And I remember, just, I remember just screaming at God in my car. And I should have been screaming anyway because it was a Mercury. Um, and I remember, just, I remember just pounding on the dashboard, just beating it with my fist, screaming at God, Why? Just weeping. I remember telling him, and I, I hope, I'm not trying to shock you, but maybe, it, maybe it's helpful to you. I remember saying to you, I don't think I can ever look at you the same way again. It isn't that I lost my faith. I do believe in God. I just thought you were better than this. How will I ever ask you for the cry of my heart again after you ignored this one? She's dead. And if I'm a carpenter, then I've got months or years to resolve this crisis of faith. But in three days, that family's asked me to stand over a box that's about this big with the child's body in it and tell everybody how good God is. And I'm going to be really honest with you, Father. I don't think I believe it anymore. Aren't you glad God didn't just like put down a bolt of lightning through the topaz, you know, roof and, and annihilate me? I don't think I'm the first person to ever say that to God. What did I do? I John, I Mark Ford him. 
The problem is not the storm. The problem is not her death. The problem is, the problem is that you didn't do what I wanted you to do. What I mean, what I desperately wanted you to do. We all wanted you to do. I don't know I can ever look at you the same way again. My mom, you probably heard this story. I called her weeping. As all great men of God have done through the years, they turned to their mothers. And I said, I don't, I don't know if I can ever trust God again. I was just crying. She said, Jimmy, three words that really changed my life. She said, this isn't heaven. You're mad at God because his perfect will wasn't done on earth as it is in heaven. And that, that is the struggle that we fight with. But I also want you to hear something else, Jimmy. This isn't hell. This is that place in between heaven and hell. And we live here and there's this colliding that takes place. And we're to believe. We're to choose who we're going to trust. Do we trust the chaos? Do we trust the order? Do we trust the hate? Do we trust the love? Do we trust the fear? Or do we trust the trusting one? And this is, a, this is a, a crossroads. It's not a crisis. You just need to turn in the right direction and tell God, I believe you anyway. Can I tell you what happened after I did that? Not much. Just being really honest. Like, oh, I heard angels sing. I, I didn't. I heard my tears hitting my lap, cross my steering wheel, and I was still in a mercury. <laughs> but I think that saved my life. Those three words. Thanks, Mom. Because it, it, it created a box called faith large enough to put my pain in. Does that make sense? It was spilling into everything, spilling into my marriage, spilling into my words, spilling into my attitudes, spilling into my actions. And there was a box called faith. It didn't have to make sense in that box. It just, I just had to trust God that whatever was in that box, he knew. And I put it in that box. And it's, I brought it out little by little. And now I can look back and say, I'm so grateful. And this sounds strange. I'm not grateful for the tragedies, but I'm grateful that my faith is now bigger than human tragedy. How? I don't know. But I know this. I, I'm glad I had those experiences. So when I had a, a widow whose husband was dragged to death by a, a, it was a motorcycle accident, he was missing three of his limbs. And the person that was there on the scene that was rendering first aid, a professional EMT, he looked right in her eyes. He couldn't speak. He was just shredded by... I-75, and, and parts of him literally it was just, it was one of the most horrific scenes. She hadn't been home in three days. A first responder hadn't been home in three days because to go home is to see my teenage child, and I just, I just can't yet. I got called to go there and talk to her. You know what I told her that day? I told her three words. Anybody know what the three words were? This is in heaven. That actually created in that moment a, an intimacy with Christ instead of a distance from him because there's a box big enough called faith. I'm just going to trust you. I don't have to have answers. I don't think I even ask him. I just say this and, and we'll close today. Piano guy, join me if you would. Um, the test we're talking about is universal. If you haven't had it yet, I'm not trying to create fear in you, but I want to welcome you to planet Earth, the most dangerous piece of real estate in all of creation where everything good and everything evil fights for your trust and your belief every day. But I want you to remember this, that as you face the things that you have faced and you're digesting, the things that you will face and will have to digest, I want you to remember a couple of words that came straight from Jesus as he faced and defeated everything that you have or will face. And through Christ, you will be able to defeat as well. This is what he says. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, which means, hear me, my God, my God. Anybody know the rest? 
Why have you? Father, it feels like you don't care that I'm drowning. I don't understand. It was just a few hours ago. I'm, I'm kneeling in a garden. I'm, I'm weeping. There's perspiration coming off me like, like I got my head cut open. It's just, it's just dripping. I'm saying, let this cup pass from me. And the cup's not passing. And you're not answering my prayers. And I can't feel you anymore. I can't hear you anymore. And what does Jesus do? Well, then forget this. Take this crown, take these nails off. Forget this. Is that what he does? What's he do? He does the last thing his father told him to do. He obeyed orders and he trusted his commander. He obeyed his father even though he didn't understand and it didn't feel good to obey. He sacrificed his life because he trusted the one who sent him to die. If you're ever in that moment, you're like, God, my God, I, I don't get it. Remember that kneeling right next to you when you pray that is your Savior who also prayed it and just simply obeyed regardless of the feelings and the confusion and the, the world around him. This is faith. So, Lyndon, get ready, but like in two minutes, understand this. You can do what the many did and say, I don't get it. I tried. It didn't work. I did what you told me to do. I, I went to church. I believed. I said prayers. I quoted scriptures. I taught the Bible. I gave them the miracle offering. I, I, and, and this is the way you treat the obedient? Well, then you know what? I don't get it. And the many often, according to scripture, am I exaggerating? The many walked away. The 12th state, the many walked away. This is hard. I, I don't, this is hard. Matter of fact, it's harder than my ability to absorb. So you go back to your nap. I'll go back to trying to rescue myself and my friends since you're not going to do jack about it. You can take it to your grave. The offense. Or the second choice, you can take it to his grave and realize that we serve a God who raises dead things back to life. And that this isn't the end. That there's more than this. And as we trust him, we'll get through it all. And if our box called trust is big enough, then we're going to trust the Lord with all of our heart. We're not going to lean on our own understanding. We're going to acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he's going to direct our paths. We're going to, we're going to not do works, hoping that those works earn something for us. We're going to receive this, this justified righteousness, this gift, this grace to walk with him through life, through death, through everything in between. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. Because you belong to Jesus. And I want to win for the Lamb the reward for his sufferings. I want to stand firm to the end. I don't want to give up. I don't want to give in. Are there sidesteps? Dang. Yes. But how do you resolve those sidesteps? You're like, I just got to get back in the ring. I just, I just got to trust. If you've ever been in that place where Jesus was, my God, my God, I can't feel you. All the evidence around me contradicts you. But I choose you. And I will not let go of you. 
and I'll go through this imprisonment and I'll go through this pain and I'll go through this forgiveness and I'll, and I'll go through crucifying my flesh and I'll go through everything that's between here and that moment I look you in the eyes where you get to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. This is not a place of rest. This is a place of war. And we just have to trust. Peace out, Lyndon. Thanks for joining us. Pastor Jason, take it from there if you would. Let's land the plane here. What do we do with this today? Um, what time is it? Eight till ten. <laughs> Dyslexia is not a crime. I'm just saying. <laughs> here, here's my concern. My concern is we hear it, but if it goes unresponded to, it's a thought that we have rather than an experience that endures. So would you do this right now? Nobody leaves. Just stand to your feet. I think the standing of the feet creates a new kind of focal attention on what we're about to do. Here's a moment that I, I pray will be part of the 001% of your life that really, that really is remembered. It really matters. It's foundational. And maybe it's because of the adrenaline, maybe because it's the dopamine. But this is, what, this is what faith is. It's trusting God more than any other evidence, any other experience, any other person, any other anything. I, I have made a decision in this moment that regardless of what happened in the past, I don't need to understand it. I need to understand you. I don't need to resolve it. I just need to know that you will. And can I just say one last thing? Hear me. Not every pain will be resolved in this life. Not every question will be answered in this life. Revelations 21 verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more mourning or crying or sickness or pain or weeping for the old order of things has passed away. And behold, he who is seated on the throne says, I'm making all things new. That means something very comforting to me. That means, that means I can still be crying when I leave this earth and not be in disobedience to God. I can still have questions unanswered, pain uncomforted, things unresolved. I'm not, I'm not failing God by having questions. He's growing my faith. That's the pain you feel when you climb to different altitudes. So would you just close your eyes right now? Three words that I believe can be instrumental in the rest of your life, but even maybe even more so in this moment, create a box big enough to put things in it that don't make any sense at all. Three words, you know what they are? I trust you. I don't get it. I don't understand. It's not the way I would have done it. I, I'm offended. I believe that you didn't care. I can't feel you sometimes. I can't hear you sometimes. But more true than what I just said is this truth. Regardless of what has happened, what is happening, or what will happen. Come on, say it with me. I trust you. Look at your past right now before we go. I don't mean to bring up bad memories, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to minister comfort going back into places perhaps of your childhood or broken relational covenants or abuse or neglect or the loss of the job, the loss of the opportunity. I had this dream and it, it just never happened. Trust isn't, I got this. Trust is, I don't got this. I don't. 
pastor right now. Three words. Ready? Speak it over every day you've lived up to this day. Come on, just look at God right now. Look, look at your past right now. Look at him. Look up from your past. Look up to heaven and tell him three words. You ready? Say this with me. I trust you. I trust you. So whether you say, follow me or eat me, I, I trust you. Whether you calm the storms or I die with you in a storm, I trust you. Can we go so far as to quote the book of Job today? Wow. Though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at your future right now. Some of you live in constant fear, and you don't have to from this moment on. What is that that keeps you awake at night? When you see an article, you go, oh, I'm not going to read that because I want to hear more about that. Is it disease? Is it finances? Is it health? Is it... Come on, look at every day from this day forward. Three words. Look over every day. Now look up from those days. Look up to heaven now and tell him. Come on, three words. Say it with me. I trust you. Father, I pray that these three words, <laughs> even when they're hard to say, would be said until every one of them is true. Let the trust we have in you be greater than the storms around us. Storms around us are inevitable. Storms in us, something's wrong. You're supposed to be in us, not the storm. So we trust you. And we give you our lives today. Forgive every sin that would stand between us and you. Move every mountain. If the mountains move and pile drive us into the, into the ground, then from underneath the mountain, we'll hear these words. I trust you. <laughs> you still feel a burden on your heart? Say it again. If, if there's still a weight there, let's get rid of it. Come on. Give it to Jesus. Cast your cares on him. He's the one who cares for you, about you, cares the cares of you. I trust you. I don't have answers. I have you. I have solutions. I have you. I have faith in you, trust in you, submit to you, believe you, follow you, 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 God. Thank you for your word. I trust the author of that word to be true. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. One last thing. Um, uh, the first steps coming here for a while, but I'm not engaged. I'm not involved. Going to church is wonderful. Being the church better. Out the doors, to the left. Youth Auditorium starts in two minutes, ten minutes, three minutes, ten minutes. So get a coffee. There's, your kids can stay in there, but let's, let's get to work building the kingdom of God. Amen. You guys doing good? Do you have the nerve to come back next week? Good. All right. Part two next week. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Go get them.